If you have your Bibles, would you open to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are even those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today we are starting a new sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And going from chapters 5 in Matthew's Gospel to chapter 7. And here is the introduction, the preamble uh, for Jesus' sermon it's words that need no introduction that are right up there with the Lord's Prayer or John 3.16, so well known. So many books and sermons have been written and, and, and shared on the, what is commonly called the Beatitudes, these blessings here. But this is where our attention is today. These, this introduction of Jesus' sermon there on the mountaintop where he talks about those who are blessed. Maybe it would be good for us to take a moment before we go any further to, to understand what is meant here by that word, blessed. In the original language, in the Greek, the word that is used there, that is translated as blessed, is makarios. This is interesting because usually the word in Greek that is used for blessed or blessing is ulogeo where we get our word eulogy from. Uh, it means to speak well of, to praise, to celebrate with praise. Jesus used that word, ulogeo, to bless the loaves and fishes in Matthew chapter 14 at the feeding of the 5,000. It is the word that is used in Luke's gospel in chapter 6, verse 28, where Jesus says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. But that's not the word that Jesus uses here. He uses makarios, which really just means happy. It's a word, in fact, that the Greeks reserved to describe the blissful existence of the gods. It's meant to convey the highest type of well-being possible, happy. Happy in the most blissful state you could think of are you, Jesus says. 
In addition, makarios has its roots, its beginning, in another word that means large, long, and lengthy. Like Auntie Alice explained so well in the children's story today, this happiness that, that comes from God is not something that is just fleeting, but it lasts, it's meaningful, it has depth to it. So maybe blessed is a good word to to use as a translation here because in our modern times, we use that word happy to sometimes uh, allude to something that is a temporary good feeling or circumstance. But Jesus is talking about a state of joy here that is lasting and constant. So maybe blessed is, is still one of the best words we could put there because I think blessed implies, and even today, sometimes we might use that in a casual way. If somebody sneezes, you'll say, bless you, right? But I think in general, in our day and age today, blessed has a little bit more weight than, than happy. So maybe that's a good one. Just know that Jesus is talking about the highest well-being possible in this moment. Furthermore, the way in which that verb, or that, or that sorry, that word, uh, blessed, is used describes a state of existence that is already a reality. It doesn't seem that Jesus is conferring a blessing here or urging people to live a life worthy of a blessing. More so, it seems like he is acknowledging that the ones indicated are already blessed. Scholar Michael J. Wilkins, in his commentary, explains it better than I could. He says this, uh, Makarios is a state of existence in relationship to God in which a person is blessed from God's perspective even when he or she doesn't feel happy or isn't presently experiencing good fortune. This does not mean a conferral of a blessing or an exhortation to live a life worthy of a blessing. Rather, it is an acknowledgement that the ones indicated are blessed. Negative feelings, absence of feelings, or adverse conditions cannot take away the blessedness of those who exist in relationship with God. I think this is important to keep in mind because sometimes we associate being blessed with having fortunate circumstances. Case in point, I was in the store uh, this, a few weeks back, this happened. A lot of good illustrations come in the grocery store with, for me for some reason. And uh, I was in the grocery store and I saw someone who was wearing this t-shirt that said, I'm not lucky, I am blessed. You ever seen that shirt? And and yeah, amen. I am not lucky, I am blessed. Nothing wrong with being thankful for good circumstances or favorable outcomes. That's the way I took it. Hey, you look at me, you think my life's lucky because there's good things happening? Well, I'm not lucky, I'm blessed. That's what it implied to me. Things are going well. It's because I'm blessed. But then I looked at that shirt and I pondered, well, what does that mean though? What does that imply if you are unlucky. What if someone on the way to the store that day got rear-ended, it wasn't their fault, and they had this debilitating injury because of it? What if someone got hacked, and they came up to the register to pay, and all of their money in their account was gone, or their credit cards, you know, were declined? What if someone picked a line in the grocery store that was two people shorter, and it was the express lane, compared to the one next to it, and yet the person who was last in the line next to this person finished long before them, which is what exactly happened to me 
that day in the store. And who do you think was the last person next to me in that line that finished before me? Our friend with the shirt that said, I'm not lucky, I'm blessed. <laughs> what if you are not lucky? What if the diagnosis of cancer falls in your lap? What if you get laid off from work? What if you experience the loss of a loved one? Would their t-shirt of those people have to say, I'm not unlucky, I'm unblessed? For some in the world, they may see it that way. But for those who are citizens of the kingdom of God, let God be the ruler of their life. They would have a different understanding of what it means to be blessed. An understanding that I think comes here in Jesus' introduction, the sermon. Some view the Beatitudes as a list of attitudes that we need to have in order to be blessed. And, and if that's the way in which you understand these and, and meditate on them and pray about them, I think that's totally okay. There's a lot of good things in here. It is, after all, good to be humble and merciful and a peacemaker, hunger and thirst for righteous, righteousness, absolutely. But I tend to favor an interpretation of the Beatitudes that focuses maybe a little bit more on the religious context of the day, where the religious leaders, the elite in society, they were the ones that were seen as blessed. Not saying it was right, but that's the way it was perceived. They were the lucky ones. And when you read these words with that context in mind, it seems like Jesus is declaring blessings on those that society has deemed unblessable. Or at the very least, Jesus is declaring blessings on people who are not the luckiest. Philip Yancey describes the Beatitudes in one of his articles on Christianity Today as survival of the least fit. I think Jesus is declaring blessings on the least fit here. It starts off, after all, doesn't it, by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, the religious leaders were considered the spiritual heroes of the day. It goes without saying that they were the ones that were blessed. Those that were present for Jesus' sermon, however, would have largely been considered the spiritual zeros of the day. They would not be the ones that they would have considered blessed. In fact, the religious leaders weren't just spiritually rich, but they were usually the ones that were materially rich also back then, which only added, you know, to the perception that they've, they've got, it all, got it going with God. They are blessed because when you were materially rich back then, you were considered spiritually rich as well. In fact, in Luke's gospel, his the way in which he shares Jesus talking about the Beatitudes, he says simply, blessed are the poor. If you were poor, you would have also been thought to be spiritually poor. How radical it would have been for Jesus to say, you who are seen as both materially and spiritually poor, you are blessed. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. Another oxymoron, not just in their day, but in ours as well. The pain that comes from losing something or someone special is one of the hardest 
pains we face in this life. And yet Jesus says, even those who mourn are blessed. The religious leaders, I'm sure they had their fair share of mourning periods, but in general, they were going to be doing that much less than the common peasant. Their lives were easier, safer, more comfortable. And then he says, blessed are the meek. And it's particularly important to remember the phrase that comes next, to remember the context, for they will inherit the earth or the land. Scholars say that this is most likely talking about the promised land, that God's people had been clinging to that hope for centuries. And it would not have been thought that the meek and the mild would be the ones to inherit the land, but the powerful and the mighty. There were very powerful groups that were vying for and would go to war over the promised land. The Herodian family, always seeking power of the land uh, and willing to compromise anything to get it. Down the road, very quickly, Rome and the zealots would engage in an all-out war to get control of the land. And of course, the messianic expectation was that somebody would come and give them military and, and political victory. To be meek was to be seen as out of position to receive the blessing of the land. But Jesus says, no, the meek are blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, that is a wonderful thing to say. No doubt we should pine for the righteousness of God. Ours is like filthy rags. We should seek him and his righteousness. But again, the religious leaders of the day would have been considered already to be righteous. Why would they need to hunger and thirst for something they already have? Those listening to Jesus would have never thought that they would have that kind of righteousness as the elite of society. Once again, I think Jesus is showing how blessing is available even to the spiritual zeros. Blessed are the merciful. Again, good to be merciful, but the elite of society back then would have seen mercy as a sign of weakness where you are taken advantage of. And on top of that, isn't giving mercy something that is really hard and sometimes painful to do? Because to show mercy means that you show it to somebody who doesn't deserve it. That's the very definition of mercy. There's a story told about a mother who came to Napoleon on behalf of her son who was about to be executed. The mother asked the ruler to issue a pardon on behalf of her son, but Napoleon pointed out that it was the man's second offense and justice demanded death. I don't ask for justice, the woman replied. I plead for mercy. The emperor objected, but your son doesn't deserve mercy. Sir, the mother replied, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. Mercy is all I ask. Napoleon granted the pardon. Being merciful is hard, uncomfortable. It wasn't fashionable amongst the religious elite either. And yet Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Again, a wonderful phrase. But as many of you may know, purity and cleanliness was an important religious theme in the day of Jesus. The religious leaders knew how to observe all the ceremonial washings to a T. On the outside, they looked the part. By all accounts, they were pure. 
Someone who comes to my mind as I'm reflecting on this is the woman who reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment for healing. Her condition, of course, made her ceremonially unclean, unable to worship in the synagogue, unable to gather in a respectable person's home. By all accounts, she was impure. And so the world would have said that she lived outside of God's blessing. But the healing that Jesus gives to her proves that the purity is one from the heart. What a promise for those gathered there. I mean, what hope did they have of being as pure on the outside as, as the religious leaders? But Jesus has, reminds them of what he told David. God does not look on the outside. He looks at the heart. You, you may not think you're pure, but your heart is, and you're blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, how could being a peacemaker make you feel unlucky or unblessable? Of course, making peace is good. It's an admirable thing. And, and if you have ever had a time when you have helped two different parties come to an agreement and find peace, of course, there are feelings of blessedness that followed. But have you also been stuck in the middle of two sides that can't make peace? It's not usually a blessed experience. Just ask somebody who works in law enforcement for a living. I wish Jesus would have said, blessed are the peace lovers, right? Those, when you get those moments, when, when you have peace, enjoy it, and you'll find blessing. He doesn't say that. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's hard. As a peacemaker, you often end up disappointing both sides and have them both upset at you. The religious leaders of the day tended to care more about compliance than bringing people together in peace. Peacemaking can be a serious struggle, and Jesus says, blessed are you. And then he concludes, blessed are those who are persecuted. You who get insults have evil things said about you because of me. I don't think there's much explaining that we need to give for that. Obviously, he is telling people who are treated in a way that the world would say, you're no, there's no way you're blessed. Look at how you're persecuted. Jesus says, no, you are also blessed. In some way or another, the first half of each beatitude reveals how God's blessing rests on the unlucky ones, those who aren't seen as having it all together, who were impoverished, suffering, mourning, who were persecuted, who were wronged in some way, who were doing the difficult job of, of trying to keep peace and give mercy. And yet Jesus says, happiness, the highest type of well-being is yours. Why is that? Well, it's because of everything he says in the second half of the Beatitudes, Right? Because the kingdom of heaven is yours. You will find comfort. You will inherit the land. You will be filled, satisfied. You will be shown mercy. You will see God. You will be his children. You see, when you are a citizen in the kingdom of God, even the unluckiest of circumstances cannot take away those promises. 
which means even in the unluckiest of circumstances, you are blessed. Reminds me of a story, I've mentioned it here before, forgive me for reusing an illustration, but it just felt right to share it. It's a short one. A young man who was going to be a missionary on the island of Tobago, many of the local residents there were suffering because of leprosy. So these missionaries were there to help treat them medically and spiritually. And one night, the missionary was leading worship in the leper colony, and he asked if anybody had a favorite song. A woman standing towards the back who had been facing the other direction quickly turned around. And the missionary describes that he had seen the most disfigured face he had ever seen in his life. He said she had no ears, no nose, her lips were gone, but she slowly began to raise a fingerless hand and asked, can we sing, count your many blessings? Only a citizen in the kingdom of God could make such a request. Family, in just a moment, our praise team, our awesome praise team is going to lead us in a song of response. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I cannot think of a better appeal to leave you with than that. Seek first the kingdom of God, his rule in your life. For that is the way to experiencing the highest type of well-being possible, even in the most unlucky of circumstances. In fact, it, it gives me an idea. I think I am going to produce a different T-shirt, one that says, I am unlucky, but I am blessed. Let's pray. Lord, that's the commitment we are making together today, to seek first your kingdom. It is overwhelming, Lord, to think of all the things that are added to our life when we do that. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the chance to be citizens in the kingdom of God and to be blessed no matter what we face in life. In Jesus' name.